0: Hi, I'm Tephera Jemian. And I'm Hannah Bailey. Welcome to Yeah! A show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age.
1: This is our book club, and you're invited. Yeah! Yeah! This week, we are talking about The Left-Handed Fate by Kate Milford. And this was one of our books that was suggested by one of our wonderful Indiegogo donors, our friend Kat McGuire. Um, And Kat is a children's librarian, which is very cool. So she has good insight into the book world. Uh, Yeah, so it is a book. um, It's a kind of steampunky, historical fantasy uh, about some kids on a sailing ship during the—is it a real war? It's, or it's a, during 1812. Okay, it's the, it's war, it's of the war of 1812. 1812. This is how much I know about that kind of history. Um, so they are well. I'd say the main is the main character Lucy. Would you agree that, the main, agree that the main character is Lucy? So the main character is her name is Lucy, and she is English, and she. And her father have been helping this boy named Max to find and put together the pieces of this mystical weapon that is supposed to end wars for good.
0: Or mystical engine. Engine, yes. Which it, it gets referred to equally, I think, as an engine and a weapon. That's Throughout true. the book. Mm-hmm.
1: Um. So it's something that, um, that, her fa- that Max's father had found, like the, like, instructions, but they weren't really instructions for it in, like, I- Egyptian hieroglyphs, and so they're they're trying to piece this together, and then uh, lots of other stuff happens, and uh, a boy named Oliver gets involved, and her little
0: brother makes fireworks, and yeah. That pretty much sums <laughs> it up. What did, what did you... How did you find it? What did you think of it? I... So I had an
1: interesting experience reading it. Um, for the first about a hundred or so pages, I did not get super into it. Um, and then for the like middle chunk, I was like more into it, but not like super riveted. And then for maybe the last third of the book, I was like, oh my goodness, okay, this is getting really good. Um, the one thing though throughout is that I found it really gorgeous like it's very evocative and the world that is described is really cool and also the illustrations are really beautiful and yeah, i like that the
0: illustrations really awesome. i haven't read
1: a book with illustrations in a long time and it was delightful yeah
0: yeah the illustrations <laughs> yeah. felt a little bit like uh like they function the way the illustrations in bitter blue do mm. which is just like giving giving a little bit of mood yes like-
1: yeah that's a good way to um yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I had a really similar experience with reading mm-hmm. it. I think it was less in thirds for me and more in chunks in halves. Um, okay. I found the the first half I just like if I hadn't been assigned <laughs> this book, I probably wouldn't have finished it. Um and then basically as soon as they got to Nagspeak, mm-hmm. um it it kinda hooked me. The Nagspeak world yeah. pulled me in. Um and I I got really interested this this book so i was kind of expecting to be really hooked by it because i love high seas books i that's like it's like a little a little niche in the literary world that gets me i loved Mm -hmm. reading in the author's note that kate milford wrote this after reading the master and commander books which she did not want to read and her husband made her read (laughs) and then she loved them Mm mm-hmm um, but like I love the True Confessions of Charlotte Doyle, Okay. and I love the Jackie Faber books, which I revisited thinking about them by uh, L.A. Meyer. They're they're not well known. Right, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I revisited them and was like, oh, wow, these are like full of anachronism. And I'm I'm kind of amazed that I love them as much as I do. But I really do. Do
1: you know things about sailing? Um, I. Or you know things about I history? wanted
0: to be a sailor. I used to take sailing lessons. I didn't know
1: this. Yeah. So I
0: was a horse girl and you were a boat girl? I was kind of a boat girl. I was never very good at sailing. I was, I was pretty bad at it. Um. But, well, I was in Boston, and Boston's very nautical. Oh, right. Boston yeah. has a lot of nautical history, and you mm-hmm. can go visit ships. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I'm fascinated by the world of ships. That's very cool. I really wanted, there was, like, a high school program where you could go sail on tall ships during the summers. <laughs> That's awesome. And I really wanted to do that. Yeah. And I think I couldn't do that because I think probably in retrospect, it's probably a very expensive program. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but... But I was like, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I was like, I went through a serious ship phase. And honestly, I'm kind of still in a ship phase. I, I love ships. They're very cool. Yeah.
1: They're very, <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about that as you were talking about all the ship books you've read. This might be the first ship novel I've read. Mm. Other than the like, there's one or two Outlander ones that like partially take place aboard a ship.
0: I mean, they do, but those are not ship books. If it isn't. It, um, the
1: the, the um, look that Deppra just gave me. <laughs> those are not ship books.
0: Um, it has to have, I'm sorry, but there has to be a diagram of the sailing ship at the beginning of the book.
1: There's not. I know. <laughs> okay, that was also a
0: look. <laughs> I will get into uh, uh, my feelings on. Paratextual inclusions, mm, yes. um, because I think this book could use more. Okay, um, yeah. But uh, anyway, I love shit books, and I love I love sailing books. Mm-hmm. It's just like a little thing that I am nerdy about. I love the idea of there being a whole society that was a seagoing society that yeah. was really just like a different way of living, and it's fascinating. And I'm gonna make you read yeah. Charlotte e. Doyle We are cool. gonna read that for the podcast. I w-
1: I will. Yeah. You will. You will not have to force me. Um, uh, so anyway, was I was.
0: Just- <laughs> I was expecting to be really okay. into this one and, and really excited yeah. about it, and I think maybe after this little chat, it is maybe just insufficiently a shit book <laughs> to have gotten me on that merit alone. Okay. Um. But I'm. I think I'm also just very not used to reading middle grade books. Yeah. Um, I, even when I was middle grade, like I, I kind of started reading high school books in middle Mm -hmm. grades.
1: Yeah. I can't think that I read a ton of middle grade books either. Or if I did, I think most of the middle grade books that I read were not contemporary middle grade books, which are like, I read a lot of, um, oh, who does Judy Bloom. Mm-hmm. Uh, she does the Fudge series too, right? That's yes. her? Yeah, so I read a lot of Judy Bloom. I was obsessed with Laura Ingalls Wilder. Um, so I read those kinds of things, but I didn't read a lot of like contemporary, which there was probably less contemporary middle grade when we were in middle grades.
0: I'm not sure, yeah. But. I mean, excuse me. We had Ella Enchanted as middle grade. Yeah. Um, although, is it? No, she's 15. That would yeah. be.
1: Yeah, it's definitely written for younger readers. I think I yeah. read it when I was. 12 or 13. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I don't
0: think it is strictly middle grade. Middle grade, would we say yeah. middle grade is usually maybe prepubescent? Not prepubescent, but pre menstruation? Yeah. Roughly, or like pre or like right around menstruation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like getting your period is a concern for the protagonist in middle grade. That's
1: true. That's <laughs> true. Um, yes. Yeah, so it's so it's interesting. So I was I was thinking about that as I was reading this book because actually, as it so happened, the book I read immediately preceding this was also technically a middle grade book. Okay, um, but it felt it. So the, I immediately before this read, um, well, reread for like the millionth time, um, Tamara Pierce's Lady Knight, which mm-hmm. is that series is technically middle grade, mm-hmm. um, but it reads much more like a YA novel, just like with no sex. Right, it's like the it's it's like similar to the rest of her books, but like there's not sex in it.
0: Oh, does Tamara Pierce have sex? Um, I (laughs) mean, sorry, (laughs) let me clarify. I don't know. Tamara, you have to ask her. Being an adult, probably has an active sex life. (laughs) <laughs> Tamara Pierce novels I have always assumed are sexless, and uh, um, this is very interesting to me. So
1: they don't like have like sex scenes like Outlander has sex scenes. Well, for no, example. they are
0: young adult because they novels. are young adult books.
1: But like yeah. all of the characters except for Kel are sexually active. Okay, or all of her protagonists in the in the Tortal world, okay. and and Kel's actually not necessarily not sexually active because she doesn't want to be. But right.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, Okay, so kind of like uh, kind of like the Graceling universe in that way. Yeah. yeah,. And that sexuality is like part of the character's narratives. Yeah,
1: absolutely., um, But so this one I found very different, and I was thinking about it and why that is. Uh, And so I have a theory, and I told Tefra I had a theory, and then she told me I had to wait and say it on the podcast. I'm very (laughs) excited to hear you. So my theory is that, um, especially in, like, the hook portion of the book or, like, what it starts by developing the most, I think that middle grade books are more heavily plot-focused from the beginning. I think that YA books tend to, like, balance pretty equally plot and character focus and adult books tend to be more character focused
0: that makes sense to me again as like I have not read a lot of middle grade books
1: yeah and well I was thinking about this and neither have I so like maybe that's just this book not all middle grade books but I was thinking about why I wasn't drawn in at Mm -hmm. the beginning and I think it's because there wasn't a lot of time spent on character I don't feel like I got to know the characters super well Until, like, maybe halfway two-thirds through the book.
0: Yeah. Um, I feel that way, too. That that was, like, that was largely the thing that was preventing Mm -hmm. me from getting into it was that I felt like I didn't have, like... If I have to constantly be checking to remember who which character is, mm-hmm. that's a sign to me that I don't have a real good sense of the character's emotional scape and uh, scope scape. Ever since you guys started teasing <laughs> me about about the Sieg Segway thing, I like question every pronunciation. I
1: refrain myself from teasing you about uh, that.
0: Tom Producer Tom does not. Who you <laughs> so about it. I'm, I'm going to explain this because I feel like we have alluded to this uh, jocularly over the past <laughs> couple of episodes. I am, I am 27 years old. I have a degree in English literature. I graduated with high honors. Um, you fancy? Uh, I won awards. And this year, <laughs> at 27 years old, I discovered. That the word Segway is in fact spelled S-E-G-U-E. And that is not a distinct word called Sieg. And um, the motor scooters called Segways are spelled differently from the word Segway. And uh, Sieg is just not a word (laughs) in the English language. And I, I don't know... How I made it this far, without knowing that I I I don't know how that happened. Oh. I think it's one of those things that happens when you read more than you like mm-hmm. socialize. Um, <laughs> but ever since this discovery, I uh, I now second guess every word I pronounce because <laughs> I'm just like, oh no, what if this is another C? <laughs>
1: Well the funny thing is I didn't even notice when we were recording that episode that you I think I just didn't know what you were trying to say when you said that word, so I just kind of like erased it. And then I listened back to the episode and was like, Oh yeah, Tevor totally says see what she means. Um, but I have I have a comforting soundbite okay. for you. <clears throat> Please. Which is I was listening to a different podcast, um, because I don't exclusively listen to our podcast. I was like, Oh man, need to get the, the laughter under control. Um so I was listening to another podcast and um the the guest said it was something like there's no wrong way to say words. There's just differently from how most people say them. And I really like that because I also like mispronounce a lot of things and get a lot of hack for, for instance, the way I say bagel. Um,
0: but that's like a regional thing, right? Like,
1: I mean, I like to claim that it is, but I also got teased in Ottawa for it extensively I when I was in middle school. So I think it's
0: a New England thing. So I don't know how you picked it up.
1: From New I know I don't know how
0: you picked it up. You would you would get along well in England in New England. There are a lot of horse girls there. Excellent. Um, and a lot of and a lot of gay women.
1: Maybe I to <laughs> move to New England and find a horse girl to yeah, fall in love with okay. me.
0: Um, um. New England ladies, you heard it here. <laughs> anyway, I I heard it a lot in Boston. Bagel. Okay, that makes yeah. me feel better. Yeah.
1: Um. Yeah.
0: But I appreciate that. Thank you. So you're welcome. So Tom <laughs> Sieg is fine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, okay. anyway, so we were talking about something and I forget what it was we were <laughs> We
0: were talking about middle grade yes. novels and uh, I was making a point um, mm-hmm. about emotional uh, characters, like emotional yes. bonding with characters, mm-hmm. which is something I felt that, that I missed mm-hmm. in this one. Um, yeah. Just kind of emotional impact as a whole. Yeah. But again, like, I don't know if that is just because... I am used to reading older books, like books for older audiences, which Mm -hmm. do more emotional impact stuff. Yeah. Um, I found, for example, when Lucy's father dies Mm -hmm. very abruptly, it was... It's a moving scene, and -hmm. they interact with Lucy's grief. They... Yeah. The author... Kate Milford, who is one person, (laughs) interacts with Lucy's grief in really touching ways later in the book. Mm -hmm. But I found that I hadn't, like, connected to her father at all. So I didn't Mm -hmm. feel the impact of that death. Yeah. Um, But again, I don't know if that's something that just in books for younger audiences is a necessity so that you are not, like, ruining 10-year-olds' emotions, you know?
1: Yeah. (laughs) See, I I actually did find that 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 loss was like that to me that was impactful but through kind of like nuanced ways like I feel like it really came out in just like I feel like what's happening is that Lucy is sort of compartmentalizing the loss Mm -hmm. of her father with the loss of the ship yes um and so I feel like that's how you see it is how is her grief about losing the left-handed fate Mm Hmm. um Is how you see the grief for her father happening.
0: Yeah. That makes sense. I love the two moments that I really love Mm -hmm. in terms of depicting Lucy's grief are Mm -hmm. the one where she sees Nell. And Mm -hmm. first they have a very business-like conversation with the lieutenant who's in charge of the Mm left-handed fate. Yes. And then they go outside and Uh Nell gives her a big hug and says, I'm so sorry. And Lucy says, it was just a splinter
1: yes yeah you can see her like break in that moment yeah
0: and that's really beautiful the other really Mm -hmm. beautiful moment is right right at the end of the book Mm -hmm. Um, and Lucy is is talking to Liao her little brother Mm -hmm. about it and um, she's talking about how the ship is a home Mm -hmm. Um, and he says like you said that a ship is is uh, you know just a machine or something like that Mm -hmm um and she says i said that to make you feel better (laughs) did it work and he goes not really and it's just (laughs) this nice like this nice little honest like yeah that's no this is our home i I, it is it is yeah and like i said that to try to comfort you but i understand that you know Mm -hmm. it probably didn't
1: (laughs) yeah Um, yeah yeah um it is really cool how you see the ship being used as like a oh, I feel like a douchebag academic for saying microcosm, but a microcosm.
0: Microcosm is not I I, I don't I think I think microcosm is not strictly douchebag academic word. Okay, that's good. Now if you said praxis or qua what does qua even mean? Oh, something qua something, you know. Oh. It's not exactly a ship qua ship. It's more of a metaphor.
1: <laughs> so, your dude's academic voice is great. Um, I, I
0: did a lit degree.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, anyway. But Sorry. it's like, it's yes. a
1: microcosm of community. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually, I'm just drawing this connection now, but um, we've we've alluded to before in the podcast that I used to work at summer camp for a yeah. long time. And the kind of, it reminds me a lot of that sort of like that intense community. You're kind of isolated from the rest of the world. Um, and like the kind of community that happens in in an environment like that and it's really cool yeah
0: i like that i really like yeah. that that um that thread mm-hmm. and it does uh it does like touch on what i like about chip books <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where you do have this little mini community and mm-hmm. you have you have ways of communicating um one of the really cool ways this comes up in the book actually mm-hmm. is when oliver dexter who we haven't really talked about but oh, he yeah. is a young american um navy lieutenant Mm-hmm. And when I say young I mean he just turned 12. Yeah. He is a child. Um and he has a lot of trouble getting used to the uh British privateer language of ships. Yes. Because the language of ships that he knows is the American Navy language yeah. of ships. And it's a different vocabulary. Mm-hmm. It's different terminology. Uh, there are different ranks. Um, There are different roles uh, and that's just a really fun detail that's Mm -hmm. included where it's like, yes, it's it's ship culture, but there are different ship cultures interacting here.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So can we talk about Oliver? Because I really like Oliver and like what the kind of themes that his storyline
0: draws out. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, So Oliver, okay, we haven't, we'll we'll explain briefly. So Oliver's, um, Oliver is a, yeah, he's like a low-ranking officer on a U.S. Navy ship uh, that captures the left-handed fate, which is Lucy's ship. And then he becomes made prize captain of the left-handed
0: fate. I think he's not extremely low-ranking. He's higher-ranking than he should be. because. His father is a well known mm-hmm. possibly admiral yeah possibly he's captain. hes some kind of big shot, um, but he is also a bastard uh, yes. so he he doesn't have the same kind of mm-hmm. you know, he's like a middle officer. Yes. he's higher than he should be at twelve, but he's not like
1: no captain
0: that. of a ship no 12
1: and and it's it's very clear that like him being made acting lieutenant is like much like well it's, it's described very clearly actually and he understands this that it's like he is the only person who's like kind of high ranking enough to be made this that like the ship can easily do without exactly uh, yeah yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And so his his storyline is very interesting cuz it's very concerned with like living up to expectations and um and not feeling like imposter syndromey things and not feeling yeah. like feeling like you don't know what you're doing at all and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um yeah and and I thought it was very interesting and well done
0: well it's interesting to think about imposter syndrome in the case of a 12 year old put in charge of a ship (laughs) yeah like yes this Mm -hmm. this like in a way it's sort of like well is it even imposter syndrome like yes you are a 12 year old who just got put in command of a whole bunch of career sailors yeah (laughs) like who are who are for the most part probably at least 20 years older than you yeah and have been on ships that whole time um yeah and and especially when it's something like military rank that kind of doesn't mean anything Mm -hmm. uh Very sorry if I just pissed off any military listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Um, But, you know, but this is somebody who, you know, has the title he has because of who his father is. So mm -hmm. in that sense, yeah, it's interesting Mm -hmm. to think about imposter syndrome from that angle of Mm -hmm. just like, yeah, yeah, it's not about somebody who's like super well qualified being like, am I really well qualified? It's like someone who is objectively not very well qualified, Mm -hmm. but you know, is still the person for the job yeah, because they're the person who has to do the job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think yeah. it's really cool that what Oliver tends to do in the face of that is go to the experienced seamen he has been put in care of and saying, mm-hmm. "Okay, I need you to do this task and you to do this task because, like, you." Mm-hmm no way more than me and are going to be taken more seriously yeah. than me and should do it.
1: Mhm. I mean that way he's actually a very good leader. Exactly. And yeah. um and I really like there's a really great conversation that he and Lucy have near the end of the book. Um where she basically tells him she's like you're really concerned with like knowing all the technicalities and stuff and you think that that will make you a good leader. But like that's not actually what will make you a good captain. Like being a good captain is like being a good leader. And um yeah, it's really...
0: It's it's cool, and it's really... That's really interesting, actually, though, because Lucy is also about 12, isn't she? Yeah. She's not much older anyway. She may no, be I a No, I think year she's a year early. or two older. Yeah.
1: Uh, that's what I get the impression, but she's not a lot older. She's still older. quite
0: young, and Lucy, even before her father dies, thinks of herself as a ship's captain. Yes. Very confidently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, does not have imposter syndrome. No, is no. Is the leader very much- of the ship.
1: Yeah, she yeah she can do it and she knows that she can yeah and she's comfortable doing mm-hmm. it um, um yeah and it's very cool to see those roles kind of reversed as well yeah and that like it's the it's the boy who's very right unsure of things <laughs> and it's and it's lucy who like knows what's up
0: yeah yeah um yeah and both their fathers are also captains which is interesting Yeah, um although um, lucy has been raised by her father on the ship
1: and and Oliver, you, you, you get has the picture that Oliver sees. has not had a lot of contact with his father. Yeah, his
0: father kind of got him a career when he was old enough. Uh, you know, <laughs> when he was 12, old enough to have a career. Well, one of the really <sighs> interesting things, actually, I read the author's note yeah. at the end of this book, yeah. and um, it's fascinating because she says she wrote this as a middle grade novel because in the early 1800s, the ideal age for like recruitment to the Navy or Mm -hmm. to the Merchant Marines or whatever, uh, was considered 12 to 18 years of age. Um, That's wild. That was the recruiting window. Yeah. So she wrote this one as a middle grade novel because those would be the ages of starting yeah. out sailors and starting out soldiers as she talks about with the, yes. the revolution in france and that that yeah. speaking of emotional impact oh, <laughs> um that's a scene that has a great deal of emotional impact talking about the uh the reign of terror um in, in in pre-napoleonic france but she she said you know she deliberately wanted to write a book about sailors and soldiers who were 12 to 15 because so many sailors and soldiers in the 1800s were 12 to 15 yeah um yeah which is really cool it's really like, cool i i think yeah. i mean kate milford has done her research yes impressively um, yeah um
1: yeah, so that that brings me back to something else that I was that I really enjoyed about reading this book. Um and I think maybe more broadly this could be a reason for adults to read middle grade books occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um is even so like I am someone who would profess to really like kids and be good with kids and spend a lot of time with kids. Um like for a long time I was a child care professional. Um I was still Surprised by the like breadth of themes and emotions and topics that this book deals with, mm-hmm. um, and deals with really well and really like honestly and sensitively, um, and I think that's obviously like she's a very good author. But I think it's also it was a very good reminder for me that like, no, like kids aren't simplistic and like right. kids can have big feelings and big, and like understand big ideas and like deal with hard things. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. It was a good reminder Mm -hmm. for me. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. 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 uh, um, One of the things I really appreciate in this novel is Mm -hmm. um, there's a theme throughout of, I don't want to use power because I don't really mean power, but. Agency? Agency capability Mm -hmm. showing up in people who are overlooked or ridiculed. Mm-hmm. by mainstream society, as it were. Yeah. And, you know, you do see that with Oliver's story. Oh, yeah. With all of the older sailors and naval people kind of being mm-hmm. like, isn't this a good joke, putting this child in charge of this yeah. ship? And then he does a very good job. He
1: does a very good job.
0: Um, And you also see it with Oliver being stunned that Lucy has such agency and dignity mm-hmm and authority on the left-handed fate um, because she's a girl Mm -hmm. or that Nell can be the quartermaster because she is a woman. Mm -hmm. Um, And you also see in the, we've kind of neglected the mysterious engine (laughs) (laughs) aspect of this book, but in this process of building this mysterious engine, the people that they need help from ultimately
1: Are are, are
0: mostly women, are mostly women who are a little outside mainstream. Yeah. Well, uh, women who are mad or women who are mm-hmm. um, mentally ill or alcoholic as with yeah. the, the um, pâtissière. What's the English word for that? The uh, confectioner. Do they call con- her? I already? think they call yeah. her a
1: confectioner. Yeah. She makes, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. They call her a confectioner. And,
0: yeah. and it's, it's fascinating because you have all these men in power who are trying to get their hands,
1: Mm -hmm. on this thing
0: that they believe is a weapon that can knock out all their enemies and the people who are actually actively building it are Mm -hmm. overlooked Mm -hmm. or locked up or um, and and also um, are, you know, dabbling in women's work (laughs) which I also got very powerfully and really appreciated. Yes. There's a weaver and there's a confectioner.
1: Yes, yeah, and they're the two who uh, who really yeah. kind of make it all come together. I really want to talk about the Mad Spinster. Can we talk about the Mad Spinster Absolutely, for a second? Absolutely, yeah. I re- so I, I love her, mm-hmm. um, and so I had some thoughts about her, and I, ha- I have conflicting feelings with these thoughts because I feel very good about having representations of characters with mental illness in books, especially when they're not portrayed badly. But I also found it really interesting because I think you can read – the Mad Spencer is not actually mad at all. And just having been labeled as such because she's a very powerful, intelligent, creative woman who maybe doesn't follow the rules. Yeah. So I have. But like, yeah. So anyways, that that was my thought. About her. I, I
0: want to hear more about it.
1: I mean, I think just I was just thinking about. So I think I had a little bit of an apprehension when I. Learned we were going to meet a Mad Spinster character. Because I was mm-hmm. like, oh, what's this going to look like? How are they? Because everyone. Everyone who Lucy meets on her path to meeting her is like, oh, she's like the maddest. Um, but. And and correct me if you saw something like this. But I didn't in in the interactions with her. I
0: don't like get instability portrayed or no i see a, a woman who's yeah. brilliant who has an excellent memory yeah um who's wildly creative and effective mm-hmm. she's, um she's
1: weird she's weird and like, she maybe has a dyed her bit...
0: whole body and her hair <laughs> yeah. um, in different colors uh, uh and she's what like, I mm-hmm.
1: and she's like maybe a little into witchcraft. You like kind of get an yeah. idea of
0: what I get from her is that mm-hmm. she is somebody who is very occupied with puzzles. Yes, very occupied with problem solving and mm-hmm. with her work of weaving. Yeah, and not much interested in anything else. Yeah, and sometimes people do see that kind of preoccupation, that kind of focus. Mm-hmm. As a sign of madness, yeah, I mean, you certainly see that i I don't want to speak about this too much because i I am in no way an expert, yeah, but you certainly see that with the categorization of autism, yeah, for years as a mental illness, as something mm-hmm. to be corrected, yep um and and we're now finally starting to see some transition into how about embracing neurodiversity, yeah, and seeing the ways that different ways of thinking can enrich our culture Mm -hmm. yes but I think I I like that you brought it up and this is something that I Mm -hmm. kind of struggled with maybe not struggled with but thought about a lot in this book Mm -hmm. is the tension between the kinds of characters she is writing and the world in which she is writing them Mm. because certainly in 1812 a woman like the mad spinster would be truly considered mad and it's easy to forget when you're in nagspeak that you're still in 1812
1: yes that's true
0: um and i i found that with occasional moments of orientalism that happened in the book that made me uncomfortable and then would have to remember like okay the early 1800s are the heyday of orientalism in the british empire like Mm literally like fashions at the time are like yeah like I... the most orientalist that they get yeah um yeah and that's I mean that's something that i I thought about a lot mm-hmm. I yeah. do find that nagspeak could be a little more located in the historical world
1: yeah is uh, it is it a historical place I know nothing about no, it. no
0: nagspeak is so nagspeak is a made-up city. Okay, and um, I think perhaps the the sort of main criticism I had structurally in this book mm-hmm. was that I had a lot of difficulty with the transition between the fictional city and the actual world. Okay, um, because Nagspeak is is very much a fantasy world. Mm-hmm. The way it's written is beautiful and lush. Mm-hmm and weird and bizarre yeah. and like yeah, it doesn't weird. make any sense it doesn't feel located in the real world mm-hmm. we don't know where it is except that it's on the Atlantic mm-hmm. um, which is something that <laughs> bothered me a surprising amount which is <laughs> actually where the paratextual stuff comes in Okay, I would yeah. like a map yeah. that locates That's fair in the physical world mm-hmm. because I couldn't figure out if it was supposed to be on the Atlantic coast of Canada I couldn't figure out if it was supposed to be maybe an island for a little while i thought it might not be an actual landmass and might be mm-hmm. like a collection of ships bound yeah. together um, yeah. <laughs> and i just like i i could not physically locate it okay and in a novel which is at least partly very much a historical novel mm-hmm. that bothered me a lot yeah and took me out of it a lot
1: Okay, that's really interesting. <laughs> um, that's really interesting because I had a very different experience of I Speak. I very much I thought that it it walked that sort of magical realism line really well for me mm-hmm. of like, is this just like a normal place? Is it like what is
0: happening? Is this the real <laughs> world? Is this just fantasy?
1: Sorry, carry on. <clears throat> Um yeah, so I I felt like it it did that for me very well, but part of it could also be that I am terrible with geography. I know nothing about the east coast of the US really. Um I know I know some things with the East Coast of Canada, but I know nothing about the East Coast of the US. I know that Chesapeake is a real place. Yeah. Uh, but I could not tell you where it is. <laughs> I think it's like vaguely in the jurisdiction it's of New England. It's Maryland. Okay. Ish, yeah. Um, um
0: I I hope I said that very confidently. I hope that is true.
1: <laughs> um but and maybe that so maybe that's why it wasn't hard for me.
0: It may also be again that I have read so many historical boat books. <laughs> yeah, that
1: that's also entirely fair. Um Yeah, I I I, I liked yeah. it.
0: That's that's cool. Um, yeah. I loved the world of Nag's Peak.
1: Yes, but you just found it hard to make the transition between I found the it two? hard to integrate it.
0: Yeah. 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 That's fair. Um I felt like there were a few little things that could have integrated a little better for me Mm. if say the myth or i mean i guess it wasn't a myth in fact because Mm -hmm. it is real but the um the old iron yeah the living iron Uh an element of this book is that there are living elements yes that that still exist to some degree that used to exist more Mm -hmm. um and that's part of the the really rich folklore in nagspeak Mm -hmm. and lucy alludes to her father having spoken about it before yeah, I think if her father had spoken about it in the text of the book before, that would, have before, been that, would that would have been a little you? thing that would have helped integrate it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Or even if people had just been like, oh yeah, Nags Peak, that's like a weird place, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, like just some like acknowledgement that this is not just a New England port. This is port, gonna be weird. Like every other New England port. Like before they go there? Yeah, just if they there's... He- they do. Do they, look, do they, they do it miss to a, that?
1: It's to a small degree, but okay. you definitely get hints that like Nag speaks weird. Okay. Before you go to Nag Speak, they're like small.
0: Uh, okay. So that's just something I missed in the text.
1: There are definitely a few smatterings of "Oh, that's a weird ass place." Right. Okay. Um, okay oh, we're not that's supposed cool. to be swearing this time because there's no I swearing. I think there in
0: the were back. some dams in the book. Oh so yeah. So I think "ass" is probably okay. Okay. Cool. <laughs> um. Okay, that's good. That's yeah. good. Again, I would have to give it a reread, I think, mm-hmm. um, because I was, like, not very invested in it for the first half. Yeah. And then I really got invested in Next Peak. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, Next Peak
1: is just gorgeous. Yes. You wanted to talk about paratext.
0: Well, I talked about, like, the map. Like, I wish yeah. there was a map.
1: And a diagram I, of the ship. And a
0: diagram of the ship. Um, I think that's really just about it. Yeah. I just want a little more, because I feel as though... <sighs> I for one thing I feel terrible criticizing this book because I think it does so many things so very well um and I and I honestly feel a little bit like mean saying anything even remotely (laughs) negative about it because it's so good Mm -hmm. um I I felt as though Again, it, for me, it's integration. It's integration of the historical and the fantastical. Mm-hmm. It might just be that I don't do well with integrating historical and fantastical. Hmm, that's... Like, I don't really like Game of Thrones okay. for that reason. Because I feel often like I'm like, okay, decide. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Make up your mind. Are you Europe or are you Westeros? <laughs> like, um, okay, that's... Yeah. I have never watched Game of Thrones, yeah. but I tried to read the books.
1: I, I have done neither. Yeah but um, um
0: i do love outlander okay which i mean i love outlander
1: but the only see the only fantastical part of outlander is the time travel though exactly everything else is historical and so it's that very historical that you would still like outlander yeah. i'm very interested now to see how you will like the total books when we get there okay because they are very much fictionalized medieval europe yeah um,
0: I read a lot of fictionalized medieval Europe, though. Like, I read all the Lloyd okay. Alexander books, the, like, Wanderer, Terran Wanderer. I was, mm-hmm. oh, man, I was obsessed with those books for a okay. long time. Um, but, yeah. So, for me, it just mm-hmm. felt a little bit like, okay, the historical section of the book is the first half, and the mm-hmm. magical section of the book is the second half. Okay. Rather than this is a book which, as a unit, is both historical and fantastical. Mm i also understand very clearly that that is an almost impossible undertaking yeah it's hard (laughs) it's like a hard thing to do and i think if it had been done extremely well i would just be like bowled over Mm -hmm. because it's not easy
1: yeah yeah Well, I'll make you feel better about criticizing it by disagreeing with you. Go ahead. Um, Which, like, I I understand what you're saying because it's very, it's more realistic the first half and more fantastical the second half. But I thought that it did an interesting job of kind of having small elements in the first half that told you that this wasn't a strictly reality world um,
0: that then... Like the ball of lightning that tears down yeah. the street in Baltimore, yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: and like the little the little lights that I forget what yeah. they're called,
0: um, corpuscum, uh, corporate corpusants. Continue talking, and I will. I <laughs> um, uh,
1: yeah. So I, but I understand what you're saying is that it is it is reality heavy in the first half, and it is fantasy heavy in the second yeah. half.
0: Yeah, I certainly don't think that there is no um, crossover. No, no. I I felt that I wanted a little more. That's fair. Um, Um,
1: Whereas I I guess for me it worked well because it made me very like curious and like what's gonna happen in the first half. And then was like, oh, okay, something's gonna happen. Yeah, Um, yeah,
0: yeah. Anything? Any like last notes? Things we didn't Um, get to? People
1: we haven't, you need to talk about We haven't talked about Liao at all and I love him that's Oh all. yes let's
0: talk about Liao I wanted to talk about Liao when I was talking about um, yeah. under, under Estimated people Yes um, mm-hmm. And then I got distracted talking about Paratextual stuff yeah, Because fair. I'm a nerd <laughs> <laughs> We're nerd positive On this podcast it's okay <laughs> This is a nerd positive podcast um, Liao is Lucy's younger brother Mm-hmm. A half brother but brother but He brother, is always they, referred to as her brother. They are very close. Yeah. Um, um both of their mothers are absent. I think I both think of their mothers dead. are dead. I know Liao's mother is dead.
1: They're both dead okay. because Liao at one point after their dad dies says neither of us have any parents left.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, um they but Liao's mother died uh late enough that they both remember her very well. Yeah. Um he is half Chinese. Mm-hmm. He is nine years old. He mm-hmm. is a pyromaniac yes. and builds his own fireworks, which are amazing. Yes. Um, he's a really interesting character in terms mm-hmm. of the... He he made me uncomfortable at first because of colonialism. Yeah. And there was a bit of me that was like, "Ooh, I think he is introduced as having Chinese, Chinese features. features. And I, I was like, was like oh. I was like, I was like, there's like... You could just say his name was Liao, and that would, like... Yeah. It, it would be... It, <sighs> so I was, like, nervous yeah. about his character. Yeah. I was nervous about it being a caricature. Mm-hmm. And it's just not at all.
1: It's not, no. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, he's just, like, such a lovely character, and he's he's very pacifist, which comes through in really interesting ways. Um, And he just gets really excited about the colors that he can make with his fireworks. And it makes me really happy.
0: And he ultimately saves the world. Yeah,
1: because he's great.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, He's, you know, a little child who, who hates war and loves beauty. Mm-hmm. And loves people and yeah. looks out for his people. Hannah is literally yeah. tearing up.
1: <laughs> I just, who hates war and loves beauty? It's true. It's I mean, very just, yeah. like, it yeah. just like, warms my whole heart. Yeah.
0: The relationship between him and his older sister is beautiful. Really like there's one scene where he's worried about something, and and Max says, "Should we be worried about him?" And Lucy says, "No." um when he's really worried about something he fiddles with the end of his pigtail and he's not doing that yet mm-hmm. and and then she explains like why he does that and where it comes from and yeah. he just she knows him so well yeah. she knows how to care for him so well he knows her very well and knows how to care for yeah. her so well And it's just a beautiful beautiful uh, mm-hmm. relationship
1: yeah and he's his character is also this like incredible mix of like A sort of scoundrelly little boy with, like... But he's, like, just, like, so caring and loving and peaceful. He's just, like, also a little bit, like, knows how to pick locks and, like, climb up things and set things on fire.
0: There's another really good scene with him (laughs) when he... Uh. Is about to shoot a rocket off the deck of the ship. Yeah. And Oliver Dexter is like, you can't shoot a rocket off the deck of the ship. What are you doing? And he's like, I do it all the time. This is my ship. I grew up here. Yeah. And Oliver's <laughs> like, no, you you cannot shoot a rocket off the ship. Bl- period. You can't do that. And Lucy comes along (laughs) and you're kind of, I was expecting anyway, for her to be like, this is our ship. What are you doing? And she looks at Liao and she's like, is that one of those rockets that you are expressly (laughs) not allowed to set off on this ship? And he's just like, "Mm." maybe. (laughs) Um, Yeah, there are just little little moments like that that are just so real. So good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, he's a wonderful character.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's a charming book. I think uh, it took both of us a little while to get into it, but I think we were both charmed by
0: it in the end. It's worth putting the time in. Like, if you you start it and you're like, "Mm, I don't know, I don't know. It's worth putting the time in. It's worth getting through because it's... Yeah, I've been realizing even like like as we're talking about it, more and more mm-hmm. little things are coming up that I'm like, oh yeah, that's beautiful, and that's yeah. beautiful, and that's beautiful.
1: I found in general that it was a beautiful book. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the the way it was written is beautiful. Like the prose is beautiful, and also like the descriptions of things are really beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and the illustrate I also really like the illustrations. Yeah. They're in a style that works very well for me, and I mm-hmm. think works very well for the book.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And the message is it's, really lovely. It's also lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So um, Left-Handed Fate by uh, Kate Milford. Kat, thank you so much for making us read this. Yes, thank uh, you. It was really, really a lovely experience mm-hmm. um, and has made me excited to make Hannah read boat books. <laughs> 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 okay. um, if you want us to read a book, if there is a book that you want to recommend or... Mm-hmm. make us read <laughs> um, the you can email us at the mm-hmm. podcast well we put all that information in the show notes um you can tweet at us you can instagram message us you can facebook us mm-hmm. uh the best way to ensure that we will absolutely read a book that you offer to us is to send it to us physically yes. <laughs> or by ebook because or or um donate on our patreon to give us the ability to to buy it yeah. because Uh, libraries are limited um and we can't buy every book yeah so uh if that's something you want to do and you're not totally sure how you can always reach out to us we Mm -hmm. will happily make it possible for you to buy us a book
1: yeah absolutely (laughs) yeah we're mostly limited right now to the things that are at our local libraries and that we own or have friends who can lend us exactly cat Uh.
0: actually lent us the left-handed fate in order to have us read it if you get a physical copy of a book to us, mm-hmm. um we will read it. We yeah. we may or may not review it for the show because we have so many books to get through. Yeah. But we have had a few people send us books. <laughs> um mm-hmm. We do we do read the books that people send to us. We might yeah. not get to them right away, but we will read them.
1: We'll definitely read them. Yeah.
0: If you recommend it, we may or may not, depending on how accessible it is to us. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks for listening to Yeah. If you want to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, send us an email at the at gmail dot com.
0: You can follow us on Twitter at Yeah Podcast and individually at Teferbear. And at the Balesasaurus.
1: If you like the show and want to help us make it even better, consider supporting us on Patreon. You can get all kinds of great perks, including early access to bonus content, shout-outs, guest appearances, and more. Head to patreon.com slash to donate. And also, we are going to have some merch on sale from October 10th to October 14th, and there will be a link uh, in the description and in our social media bios. Yeah.
0: Um, For what it's worth, one of the uh, primary feedback we get, for better or for worse, is that um, you guys love our logo, which Hannah designed, and it's great. It's a callback to 90s library posters. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if you want that on a mug or a laptop sticker or a tote bag to get your library books, um, (laughs) yeah, we have Mm -hmm. a store for that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. You can also support us for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, or honestly, rating and review on our Facebook page, Mm -hmm. retweet our show. (laughs) There's so many things you can do. Um, And by sharing this episode with a friend.
1: Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song Jenny's Groove as our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com.
0: This episode was produced and edited by Tom Zalatnai as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at UpfordNetwork.com. I'm Julian McKenzie, co-host of the Scrum Podcast, a sports show I'm doing with my podcasting partner in crime, Tristan Damore, on the Upford Network. Every week, we analyze something different from the Canadian sports media landscape. Lack of diversity, getting a job in the field, coverage of different sports, and answering some of the harder questions.
1: Through a combination of back-and-forth discussion and high-profile guest interviews, we're aiming to figure
0: out exactly what's up in the world of sports. Find us wherever podcasts are sold. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, SoundCloud, Message in a Bottle, Morse Code, Telegram, Singing Telegram, Target, Walgreens, Bird's Nest, Dad's Shed, uh, and a crowded convention center bathroom.
1: On September 19, 1993, NBC aired the first ever episode of Frasier, a spinoff series about psychiatrist Dr. Frasier Crane, the much-loved Seattle shrink from Cheers. 10 days earlier, a baby was born. A baby who, we'd come to learn, was destined to drop out of college and launch his own podcast network. That baby is me, Tom Zalani, and this is a terrible, terrible idea. Tune in to They're Calling Again, right here on the Upford Network.